Welcome to the Go Big Redcast, the Husker Fan Sports Show with Dave, Honky, Mac, and Boomer. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast. I'm your host, David Gaspers, and I'm with Honky. Feeling a little nostalgic here for the 90s, Dave. EA Sports is bringing college football back, and Wayne's World is starring in a Super Bowl ad this Sunday. As Stephen King wrote in The Colorado Kid, sooner or later, everything old is new again. I like where this is going. GBR. Including Tom Brady. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, all right. Also with Mac. What's up, Redcasters? Yeah, fantastic news. The game is coming back. I noticed they're going to open it on a platform I don't have. Masterful move, but no big deal. It gives me time to save up and convince the wife how important it is as a bonding experience <laughs> for my son and I. It, 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 but frankly, it is teaching him about defense because there's really no other way to learn it, as far as I can tell. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think a PS5 suddenly landed on uh, my kid's Christmas list next year already. I, I don't even know what that means, but I think it's already on there. Guys, I got to tell you, there's this thing called online gaming these days. So it's a rage. We could all play a season. We just like if we were on Charleston again. We could have our our seasons once again. Staying up, <laughs> get out of town. <laughs> it's time to do it. And so I can actually com- complain on a weekly basis that Boomer's not keeping up uh, on his on his season. <laughs> that yeah, and he was up twenty four hours a day. How do you not get your d- games done? You were always up, uh, Boomer. Well, I already gave my hot take back on December 18th, Dave, so in the early period, so you can just go back and listen to that. That's right. Uh, It was uh, National Signing Day, probably the most low-key National Signing Day ever in the state of Nebraska, at least, as uh, we added one recruit out of high school. Uh, Honky, we don't need a a full rundown of, of the recruiting list, but, you know, let's just talk a little bit about uh, who we got and maybe who we didn't get. Yeah, Dave, this uh, is probably one of the least dramatic, you know, signing days in February that you're ever going to have. And for Nebraska right now, probably having low drama uh, off seasons isn't a bad thing. Uh, the only name that we didn't know about, you know, for sure until today was Avanti Dickerson, the Omaha defensive back from West Side, and he is going to to Oregon. So, you know, of course, we had some people blow up on social media over that, but. Uh, we did get the official signature from Wyndon Huhuli, the number one player in the state of Hawaii, uh, outside linebacker. So that's good. And aside from that, you know, really most of the players, everything was already taken care of uh, back in December. In fact, 14 of the players right now, uh, when you include the transfers, they're already on campus and going through the offseason program, which is exactly where we want to see them right now. So every position group is affected right now with players already on campus. So that's that's very good. And aside from that, the walk-ons, we've again, we've added over 20 this year. Since our show last week, Maddox Burton became the third Southeast commit from Lincoln Southeast uh, to walk on. He's a 6'5", 285-pound offensive tackle, nose guard. So, you know, he's joining Derek Branch and Tavian Thompson. Michael Booker Jr., uh, if that name sounds familiar, <laughs> Husker fans, especially people of our age, that's uh, that's Michael Booker Sr.'s son. And another uh, legacy, Grant Lohr who was the son of former Husker D lineman Jason Lohr, he committed and he played for state champion powerhouse Jenks, Oklahoma, and he was a running back in safety, ran for 1,300 yards, 22 touchdowns, had 90 tackles, three interceptions. Again, these are guys that don't cost us anything. They're walk-ons. And those legacies, Lohr and Booker are in addition to Derek Branch, who was Troy Branch's son, Matthew Schuster, who was Brian Schuster's son, Sam Hoskinson, uh, Matt Hoskinson's son, and also they joined the NU scholarship recruit Heinrich Harburg in being sons of former Huskers. So long story short there, Dave, for this horrible culture that we have, and Frost has you know, created a horrible culture, I know we lost one legacy, uh, but uh, others are coming here, and, and they seem to, to think that uh, something is at least going right in Lincoln. Yeah, absolutely. This is really an, an impressive list, and it, it makes me wonder, like, how many legacy recruits we ultimately didn't get to walk on in Nebraska over the last couple of decades. Maybe because it's just without those uh, ties or connections um, or just simple outreach to some of these players that we just didn't, didn't get. It's, it is intriguing that we've had really a, an impressive list um, over the last three years from Frost on legacy recruits, especially in the walk-on. Yeah, I mean, Baron Miles' son, too, I, I may have 
uh, forgot him. And obviously Javen Wright is out there. I mean, and he's a scholarship player, but yeah, to your point there, Dave, I mean, this, we have plenty of legacy players that are, have been joining the, the program over the last few years. And certainly this class isn't short on them either. And I don't look at walk-ons different from scholarship players. So there's a reason that we brought them up today on, on signing day. They're very much a part of this class and we envision them being a part of the future of the program. Yeah. You know, Mac, Thinking about culture, to Honky's point, uh, bring in someone in like Michael Booker Jr., who obviously has been stepped in Nebraska culture from his father, right? I mean, that that, that probably it has a lot of value to it, I would think, beyond just simply their contributions potentially as a, as a player. Oh, I definitely think so. Not just, you know, from his father raising him, but the fact that his dad also played with Frost, you know, so there, there's definite connection there into those times. So I'm sure growing up, he's heard the stories and he knows what it's like to be a black shirt and what that would mean to his dad. I personally, Michael Booker senior was one of my favorite cornerbacks of all time at Nebraska. I think he was way underrated. So shout out to Michael Booker. Uh, but, uh, getting these, these legacy guys, it's great, man. I love hearing that. I absolutely love hearing about it. the more Huskers, the more better, you know, so. Keep them coming. Some of these guys will contribute. On the other side of that, Mac, if you look at the class as a whole, uh, we did get a lot of uh, guys within the 500-mile radius, right? Hamaki likes to talk about the 500-mile radius. A lot of in-state recruits this year. It was a good class. But I also got guys from South Dakota, mm-hmm. Iowa, etc. You know, if you remember signing day last year, we had uh, several Florida uh, commits that came in late, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. I, don't, I don't know if any of those guys that signed on signing day last year from Florida are still here. Don't we? We do have one guy left. Who is that last guy? That Scott is the only guy that I can think of. Yeah, Marvin Marvin Scott. Marvin Scott. And he signed yeah. in February, huh? I can't remember if he signed in February or December but at I feel this like, point. But... Like Henry Gray and Francois, et cetera. Those yes. are the guys that signed in February. Oh, yeah, maybe that's what it was. Yeah, but Scott's the only one left from that. Okay, yeah, right. that's, that's well, how it was. But... Yeah, from Florida in last year's class, we also had uh, um, Lynham, right? But yeah. he was also an early recruit. But, I mean, it's just very different, right? I mean, to Honky's point, this is no drama mm-hmm. signing day. And part of that was we didn't have these late recruits from Florida and, you know, we still signed a top 20 class. Yeah. But, you know, Dave, that's not the narrative that you see on social media right now. It, the focus isn't on who we did get in this class. It's on who we didn't. You know, there's been several people that were focusing on not getting Dickerson. And, and now that's a, apparently that's an issue of Frost not getting the in-state guys. And he said that we were going to, you know, lock down the borders. Mitch Sherman even tweeted how Dickerson also considered Nebraska, but ultimately becomes the fourth in-state prospect to turn down Scott Frost out of 17 offers over the past four classes. And, you know, I had to think about that. And, you know, nothing against Sherman here, but I'm not really on board with saying four guys turned Frost down when one of them is Bryson Williams. Because I had to think it through. I was like, who are the four? Okay, well, we know Johnson and we know Dickerson and we know Watts from a year ago, right? Guys that went to Oregon, Iowa, Notre Dame. So, you know, they're they're going to other Power 5 schools. But, you know, Williams, Frost, literally five minutes after his introductory press conference, is going across town to offer a kid who had been committed to, for months to Wisconsin because Riley and that staff wouldn't offer him. And he has two weeks, you know, until the very first ever early signing period to try to win the guy over. Are you kidding me? I mean, like... You know, to throw that on him, and I don't know, I guess I don't want to just pick on one, but the point is, if you just take him aside, we've gotten 13 of the 16 guys that he's gone after. And the main thing is, and the thing that I've taken issue with, go back to show number one of the Redcast, I took issue with when we didn't offer in-state guys. I took issue when we did slow play guys. I took issue when we treated in-state kids uh, like second-class citizens to out-of-state kids. I'm not seeing any of that happening right now. There's no guarantee we're going to get every single in-state kid, but I want the effort to be there. And I'm seeing the effort from this staff, and I'm seeing players want to come here too. And again, the focus seems to be on who we don't get, but let's not forget who we did. We still got five of seven in-state kids. We still pull in a guy like Thomas Fedoni from across the river um, that could have gone anywhere, right? And I know he grew up a Husker fan. BS, we've had that a ton of times guys have left. So give Frost the credit, too, for the guys that he did pull in here. But I know that that's going to fall in deaf ears. If, if people don't like what they're seeing right now, they're they're just not going to like it. Good point, Tonk. I mean, 
I, I can't blame Frost for Williams at all. And obviously, um, you know, Cluster Johnson and his family obviously have, have, have gone elsewhere. And, and that's a whole other story. But uh, when you get down to it, I, I, it doesn't seem like Frost has lost that many. And, and, and to your point, it seems like, I mean, Dickerson, if we just focus on Avante Dickerson, if, if anybody thinks that this Nebraska coaching staff didn't put their full heart and effort into getting Avante to renege on Minnesota and reconsider Nebraska over the last couple of months. I, I, just, I just think you're delusional at that point. They obviously put tons of effort into it. And so they're recruiting Nebraska guys the right way. You're not going to get everyone, right? We always going to lose one guy to Notre Dame once a decade, right? <laughs> that's just the way it works, well, right? You know, that's the thing. It, it- if you don't count Bryson Williams, then we got 13 of 16 guys. That's 81%. If you want to count them, then we got 13 of 17 guys. That's 76%. Look, Husker fans can take issue with Frost for a number of reasons. Not recruiting in-state players or you know going 100% towards in-state players is not one of those reasons. You know, we had a guy on, on Twitter today, we were talking about how the recruiting story of the day to us is that 14 new Huskers from the 2021 class are already with the team on campus. And I think that's the most of any school in the country with that stat. And so I go, we're not interested in hat ceremonies and hype. It's about putting the work in now. And we had a guy responding that Nebraska had more kids coming in early than most programs for the past few seasons. It hasn't made a difference. Like they're tying in, basically saying, who cares if guys are getting in here early? We've had guys come in early in the past and it hasn't made a difference. Well, how do you know that? How do you know it hasn't made a difference? Oh, we should stop lifting weights, Dave. It hasn't made a difference. That's we right. We should stop We're... recruiting walk-ons and, and in-state kids. It hasn't made a difference. Nothing's made a difference because all I'm going to tie everything back to the to that record. The record is what the record is, but I'm not doubting every bit of the process here either. And I think we're going to be better off for getting these guys in early. Um, I think that the guys that didn't get here early last year, the Omar Mannings as an example, or two years ago Dedrick Mills didn't get here until you know late, I don't think that benefited them either. So getting guys here early, you know, trusting the process, I still do. You know, talking about making a difference, uh, Boomer, let's dive it just a little bit deeper at a certain angle of this recruiting class. Is there anybody who jumps off of the page at you that might make an impact in the special teams um, arena Uh, early in their careers in this class? I guess just kind of looking at names that were on there, I guess I'd look for people that are athletic and can play a wide variety of sports and roles. You know, I guess like uh, Randolph Kapai, I think he played running back as well as outside linebacker. You know, has some height and size there. Might be able to work. Or uh, Kamonte Grimes, I think, played three sports. So you got a a lot of athleticism and speed and positions that probably could use it. So I would think that would be a good opportunity for players like that to make an immediate impact. You know, turning the page to 2022, you know, we are a member of uh, Herd at Media with uh, Hell Varsity. If uh, Redcasters listening here want to uh, get a, a discount with the Hell Varsity magazine and their premium membership, uh, log on to hellvarsity.com, use Redcast uh, while you get a monthly subscription and uh, get a little discount. But uh, uh, Mac... Greg Smith's 2022 uh, kind of guys that he's already looking at, a lot of local within the 500-mile radius type guys. We've got guys from Iowa, Kansas City, uh, Quentin Coolia, a uh, 6'5 wide receiver from the KC area. Um, what do you think uh, the Nebraska coaching staff is going to be looking at going forward in 2022 from kind of uh, positions of need? Well, they're going to continue to, to hit that outside linebacker position until someone emerges as a pass rusher consistently. And and maybe look no further, boys, in our backyard. Uh, there's a guy out of Columbus, this Ernest Hausman, that is picking up tons and tons and tons of offers. This guy's a real deal. And um, I believe he was the earliest offer made uh, to the 2022 class by the staff. And honky to your point, we're not slow playing Nebraska guys. This is not slow playing. We went after this kid. He's been identified and he's one, he's a body type that I've heard them say that, you know, he's starts off as an outside linebacker, but then he could maybe possibly grow into more of a defensive end, just depending on how much he grows. But his like physically, he's, he's one of those man child guys. I saw him a couple times, uh, when I was doing standbys at Lincoln Southeast. Columbus came and played, and he's, he immediately stood out to me as well. So 
Um, that would be cool. That would be a cool and, and a local flavor guy. And I have no doubt this this staff will go all in on him. So yeah, starting with the immediate 500 mile radius, that's a big one. And then, like you said, Dave, getting Kansas City back into the fold is uh, probably paramount. The pandemic probably lended itself to new new recruiting tributaries, and it's it's something that we should probably hit pretty hard. Yeah, it's another deep local class. Obviously, we have Columbus ties, so yeah. uh, getting Hausman would be would be pretty cool. I, I think he's picked up other Power 5 offers here recently. Boston College, both Kansases, Michigan, Minnesota, so uh, wow. Virginia. That is impressive. Yeah, real deal guy. You know, another one um, that uh, uh, Greg Smith has outlined on Hell Varsity Honky is a James Mons third, who... Um, Happens to be a um, Wondermons nephew of Wondermons. Nice. Talk about a legacy recruit. He's out of Fort Pierce, Florida. So that would be awesome. Uh, a, a defensive back. So um, we got a little bit of everything looking forward in 2022. Mm-hmm. All right. In other news, guys, we have uh, some development in the coaching staff or at least uh, staff in general. Uh, Marcus Castro Walker, who was a component of Frost's first staff there at uh, UCF, um, had gone to Arizona State, coming back to Frost and serving as um, director of player development. Sounds like a pretty unique individual and someone who fits uh, Frost's requirements for that position. Uh, Mac, what do you think about that? That makes sense to me. You know, he's a guy that Frost trusts. You know, he, he, we see him kind of continue this pattern, you know, Lubick and now this guy. You know, if he thinks you do a good job, you you got a chance with him. And we do need to do something to to bridge that gap because part of the reason that, you know, we're in year – going into year four and we're having conversations and question marks about roster is because we were having a hard time retaining some guys at certain positions that we've recruited. So – you know, you got to batten down the hatches any way you can. And if, you know, once you get them here and the college football has changed, boys. So if you could hop in that portal at any old time, somebody's got to be there to kind of make sure these kids know they're here for the right reasons. They're doing the right stuff. And if that's what this guy's job is, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> What's interesting, he's not from Florida. He's not from Arizona. I think he's actually Canadian, if I remember he right. He is, yes. He he's a he's Terrence Canadian. and Phillips fan. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I think he brings a pretty – you know, broad perspective there to your point, Mac. And um, you're right. I mean, if Frost trusts that he can can help um, retain some of these recruits, right? And, you know, hockey, it's been a big issue, um, and we've highlighted it. Others have been highlighting the challenges of maintaining and retaining these, these recruits. Mitch Sherman had a, an amazing stat, or at least some sort of interesting math to arrive at the 2017 class Considering how many people we lost out of it, finished 70th? Is that right? Out of 70, yeah. Yeah, 70th out of, out of 70 classes they re-looked at, right? So, I mean, there's a real challenge here, and, and it's hard to put your finger on uh, that, why it's been an issue here at Nebraska. There's lots of issues over the years that they probably looked at, including the, a coaching staff change. But something like uh, Castro Walker and the ability to, to make these players uh, assimilate and, and feel more comfortable in uh, the program is a, an important step. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, I go back to what I said earlier about some fans, no matter what happens right now, every new, every bit of news is bad. And we had that on Facebook, about three or four people responded to that we hired this new director of player development. And they're all like, why? Question mark, question mark, question mark. And I'm like, why not? This is something that other schools are doing. It's funny, you go and you look at the the Alabamas of the world and those schools and, and all the staff that they have and all the analysts and everything. Yeah, they probably have five of them. And Nebraska does that. We all want the success that Alabama has, right? We all want to do what they do, but, well, this is the resources and the requirements. This is what it takes to, to get to that point, right? I would hire five of them if that's what easily it takes. if we suddenly had Alabama success. If that was the secret, I'd be, be like. It would be worth every penny, right? You know, obviously the other bit of news from the coaching staff over the last week is that Lubick is staying. He did go down to interview uh, at Montana State. and I don't know if your geography honky, Montana is north of Nebraska. It would be up to interview, actually. He took the long route, though. <laughs> but, you know, obviously that's good news. Uh, Frost talked about how important he was 
a couple weeks ago on the radio to what he wants to do next year. He wants to kind of transition away from, you know, being in the, the play sheet the whole game and, and calling plays. And so I think, you know, he said against Rutgers they were 50-50. And we have a question in the mailbag that uh, we'll get to that's going to talk about that next year. You know, for Frost to be able to really be that CEO to, to handle special teams, you know, questions, to handle stuff on defense, to take care of, you know, questions with the refs and do all the things that head coaches need to do on the sideline and really take care of the game management piece, um, you know, he has to be able to delegate those duties. So I'm ecstatic to see that he's he's going to be coming back there. You know, Mac, I mean, here's another thing where social media probably is like, oh, do we really want Lubick back or not, right? I mean, like, it's it's extraordinary <laughs> to, to have these conversations where you're like, we, uh, you know, hear that Frost is has so much trust in this uh, offensive coordinator that he's handing over at least half of his play calling duties to him. And then people are then questioning a few days later, well, don't we want to get rid of this guy because <laughs> he really hasn't produced that well. I mean, um, your thoughts on, on Luba coming back? I'm happy he's coming back. I'm, I'm always happy with consistency. You know, it's it cracks me up because on one hand, Frost gets berated for the staff that he maintains on the offensive side of the ball. You know, Verdusco, you know, Lubick, maybe he should move on. The offense was inept, whatever. And, you know, but then just two years prior, it was like, why is Frost bringing on Chenander and these guys? They haven't had any experience. And so the defense has progressively gotten better for a variety of reasons. But Frost gets no credit for that. It's like, you know, Frost gets no credit for, like, kind of letting that happen and grow and evolve underneath him as a head coach while he's had his head buried on the offensive side of the ball. So it it is time for him. You know, it's you know some people. There's a lot of comparisons with Osborne, but Osborne came from the the offensive coordinator position at Nebraska and took over the head coaching role. So that you know, being the offensive coordinator of a already moving ship, that's not so hard. You know, he was trying to build from the ground up, be the CEO, be the head coach. It's just too much. It is just too much. So the more he can get. Because here's the thing, guys. I think he's a really good coach. I think he knows what he's doing. And I think the best thing that we could do on game day when we need that guy is have him not have his face in a, in a play sheet, being able to trust the guy upstairs and be able to watch all the game and make decisions as they go. So, yeah, I'm glad Lubick stayed because if it wasn't Lubick, then I don't, there's, I don't think there's another guy on the staff that could have taken that role for sure. Yeah. We are talking to the the 1% or the 2%, Mac. You've always said with Twitter that that's not representative of, of Husker Nation. That's such a small percentage of them anyways. That's right. And unfortunately, I think I'm just reaching my boiling point. I'm spending too much time on it, and I'm not even going on to the chat boards. And Dave, you listen to some of the radio stuff, and you've said you've heard some of the same things. But it's exhausting. To hear people on on one end a week ago, it was, oh, my God, we're going to lose Lubick to Montana State. What's going on? You know, what's wrong? What's Frost doing on offense? This is awful. And then all of a sudden he comes back and it's like no one's excited about that. I mean, it, I know. It's, it gets to a point where Frost right now can't do anything right for it, some of these people that are that frustrated. And unfortunately, they have a voice. And, you know, Abdul Muhammad said today on, on social media, you know, former Husker there, wide receiver. He goes, we as fans have to do better. The portal will be there. A few of these kids may want to come back home at some point. Be nice. Our head coach probably wouldn't have come home if social media was alive in the 90s either. And just in general, I mean, it's exhausting the vitriol. I think that's what you said last week, Mac, that some people out there have – Look, these guys are working their tail off. I don't have any issue with effort. I don't have any issue with the process. I don't have any issue with the vision of what they want to do with this program. They just need to get wins. We we all understand that. Here's what I would say about Twitter as far as as far as how players and former players should interpret it, the coaching staff. You gotta ignore it. You just have to ignore it because yeah. here's the thing. We can ask Husker fans to be nicer. <laughs> we can ask certain people. I'm like, guys, don't don't tweet at these players. Come on. We're better than that. It yeah. doesn't matter because it only takes about 10 guys who are just looking to you know stir the pot. It only takes 10 for that to be the only 10 that those guys see. And then Cluster Johnson will, will clap back at that one and make it sound like it's all of Husker Nation. What it isn't. And and I'm just so so you can't monitor or parent Twitter. So just understand what Twitter is then, and stop then blanketing all of Husker Nation with a few squeaky Twitter idiots. So you know that that that's my that's my suit. 
you know, just ignore Twitter. It's fun. Just go ahead. It's gas <laughs> on a fire. Just know what it is. Well, pay attention to our feed. Well, facts. Yeah. Yeah. Besides that. Hey, hey, Boomer. I mean, to, to that point, I guess, is, is like, you know, the, the Twitter and Facebook, it, all the social media. Is that the equivalent of a, a, a Bob Devaney uh, going in front of the uh, VFW or the American Legion circa, you know, 1967, 68, or even before then, right? And, and you know, having a couple of hecklers out there, you know, everyone jeering and, and, and cheering, etc. I guess it's similar to that in some ways, but it's just so much easier, I guess, now for those voices to get amplified. You know, back in those days, if you'd go in front of the, I don't know, Vertigree VFW and somebody, you know, jeers at you no one's gonna know about it because all hundred people that are there you know that's it that's not what's gonna hear about it but social media just allows those voices to get amplified and retweeted and shared and liked and even if you don't like them and you respond to them that amplifies it further it's just they become these just self-reinforcing kind of chambers of that sort of stuff and it seems, you know, people like to generate clicks and controversy and people enjoy it. And, you know, I don't think this COVID year has helped people's general attitudes towards <laughs> life lately, too. A lot of people are just looking for attention and just ways to stir anything up. And yeah, that's just kind of, yeah. unfortunately, the way it is. I mean, coaches have always been up for criticism. I mean, you go back, you know, teams from the early 1900s, people were mad that Bummy Booth couldn't beat Minnesota on a regular basis, and he had teams that didn't get scored on for an entire season. That wasn't enough for fans. It's, that's great. That's always been there, but I just think it's easier to find and hear that sort of criticism now with social media. And plus the anonymity of it lets a lot of people, you know, be a little braver than I think they otherwise would be. Yeah, I think Mac made the point about ignoring it is – and I'm at that point where I'm getting closer to I should probably ignore more of it. But certainly if you're Frost or, you know, some of the players, this is just it's time to get off it. If that's how it's going to be, you know, why would you want to go on it anyways? But I'll tell you, the mute button's a great thing. We've muted so many people out there that I give you about two or three strikes. I mean, by the third time, if you're just talking crap, I mean – I have no need to, to see it anymore. You only gave me one strike. <laughs> that was ridiculous. I mean, hey, Mac, how many how many strikes did you give Buki? <laughs> uh, I see that our good friend uh, uh, Bradley Hiles has uh, entered the transfer portal. There's other S- ex-Husker recruits are also in the transfer portal. What do you make of that? It's easy to poke fun at Buki. But, you know, Dave, you brought up a great point. He, he's leaving this team not because he was a crappy teammate, you know, and, and Buki had a bunch of hype, and there's a lot of reasons why Husker fans don't like him. But, you know, he, he's just trying to get playtime. I think he got over-recruited at Oklahoma, and now he's looking for a place to finish out his career. So, uh, you know, I wish the kid the best. He, he, you know, to be young and that confident, I have no idea what that would feel like. But that dude walks around like... I mean, the, the ocean would part for him. So, bless his heart, you know. <laughs> You've got mail. Hi, mailman! I can't believe I'm going to be a mailman. What's in the bag? A shark or something? All right. Well, we had another good week of questions coming in uh, to the to the mailbag. Let's start with Sal Vasta. And Dave, this is going to be for you. He said, do you think Frost will really give up more play calling to, to Lubick? Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, I'm going to I'm gonna listen to Scott Frost and, and take his word for it that he did actually already do this, right? I mean, in, in the last game versus Rutgers, it was about 50-50 and it sounds like that's what he wants to do going forward. So uh, he's not going to give up all play calling. And I think, you know, some games will be a little bit different um, depending on situation, et cetera. But yeah, no, I think, I think Lubick is going to be calling 50% plus or minus uh, the, the plays during a game. You know, I mean, think about this, right? The opening 15 plays or so are usually scripted. Um, they could also be scripting some of the first plays out of the second half. Um, and then, you know, in a typical situation, even with a uh, OC that always calls the plays, you're going to have a head coach weigh in pretty heavily on fourth downs and red zone type plays. 
um, plays within the last two minutes of halves. So, I mean, this makes sense. I, I, I think it's going to happen. I think it's already happening. And, um, yeah, I think it's a good thing. Uh, should the reporters ask who called each series <laughs> after the game? As he said, in case a, a tight end shovel pass happens at the one yard line. By the way, is what? it shovel or shuttle pass? I've always, I've always called it shovel. I say shovel. I think you could say both. I think um, you could say both. Yeah. Well, I just okay. So shovel, shuffle, and shuttle. <laughs> Do you say different. have a catch or play catch? It's you know, tomato or tomato hockey. Yeah. It doesn't really matter. It's the same play call. It's like you can spell gray with an E or an A. It's like a Roman Coke hockey. I think. You're do right I want a rum and Coke or do I want a Roman Coke? <laughs> What's in a Roman Coke? Roman Coke? Rum and Coke. <laughs> Red Cash, if you didn't know it, no. uh, hockey as a uh, college um, freshman thought a rum and Coke was actually a Roman Coke, one of the great quotes of all time. Um, you think that's because Marty was always drunk when she said, ah, give me another Roman Coke. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding, Marty. I'm just kidding. Yeah, I asked the bartender what's in a Roman Coke, and I'd like one, and they just looked at me like I was. <laughs> and I'd like well, one. Like most people look at me, but. But I'm pretty sure it's shovel pass is probably what it's supposed to be. Anyway. Hockey, I, I, I don't know if we should be uh, asking who makes each play call or mm-hmm. that tight end shuffle, shuttle, whatever play it is that happens within the goal line. I've seen it called in the NFL multiple times this playoff season. So it's not just Scott Frost and company who apparently thinks running the tight end at the three-yard line is a good idea. Um but I just wanted to be successful. I don't care what's called. I want to score touchdowns in the mm-hmm. red zone. I want that to be our forty-fifth point, not you know what should be seventeen. You know what I'm saying? Like Good that's point, cuter Matt. in the forties, not in the teens. So I don't want to see that play in the teens. Well, this kind of gets into I think a little bit of like run-pass ratio, and and Sal followed up with a question about pretend that you're Nebraska's offensive coordinator for one Big Ten game. Said at game's end, you have 73 total offensive snaps. So, Mac, what is your ideal run pass ratio if you had 73 snaps? So, at 73 snaps, I'm thinking somewhere at about 45 to 46 carries. You know, if I'm if I'm liking that, and if out of that amount of carries, if my starting running back, ideally, I'd like him to have a minimum of 20 carries. So another 26 carries left after that. You know, maybe you get eight for your backup, another three for that guy's backup. So a couple five for wide receivers. You know, or, or end of rounds. I don't know. I, anywhere between eight to 12 for Adrian, and even that strikes me high. I would like eight carries comfortable with that that range as long as that we're mostly in the eights on games that we win he ate listen adrian is the is going to be the show this year at quarterback we all hope logan smothers is is the real deal but we're going to need him to stay healthy and for that to continue going above 12 carries a game is dangerous yeah so if it was 46 to 27 passes there dave do you think in you can achieve those kind of ideal ratios next season yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I, I I think we have to commit to it. I mean, that's a, a question of not – I mean, you have to acknowledge in this offense that the quarterback is going to run some off of broken plays, scrambles, et cetera, and those are going to count, right? And so um, that means you need to reduce the amount of actual quarterback run play calls that you make, right? So as long as they do that – and you allow those 8, 10, 12 quarterback runs to be a mix of scrambles and maybe a few important QB run plays, and you're hand the ball off your running back for your other carries, yeah, I mean, you just got to be able to do it. And I, I think we can see how um, we utilize someone like Mills in the Rutgers game to achieve that. Now, in that game, we still saw Adrian have a lot of carries, right, Honk? So we got to think about how we can reduce that and and spread those carries out to other players, um, the second or third string running back, et cetera. You know, to that Rutgers game as an example, and of course that's a game where Lubick was calling 50% of the plays, uh, we ran it 56 times to 28 passes that game. As far as the throwing goes, 
outside of the two interceptions, that's the thing that the negative that we remember. But aside from that, Adrian completed like, you know, 80 some percent of his passes that game. So um, from an ideal run pass ratio and all that, that's not a bad game. But to the point of Martinez had too many rushes that game, the 20 plus, that would be the one thing I, you know, if you could create the ideal game and you looked at Rutgers there, you would want to have less rushes from the quarterback, more rushes coming from running backs. And uh, obviously, the less rushes with the with the quarterback, he's not fumbling it ideally like he did twice, and the interceptions just have to get cleaned up. I wonder who called the plays for the interceptions. <laughs> <laughs> but listen, there, there's just no way around it either going into this year. There's absolutely no chance that we can run Adrian as much and hope to get him through the season. That, yep. That's not an indictment on Adrian. That's just a, that's just a matter of fact. So it is imperative that the running backs emerge this spring and fall. So yep. to me, I'm looking at it, and the more I think about it, that is almost the most important position on the team right now. Because if we don't – here's the problem. Because if we don't develop a running game, we're still going to run the ball. So who does that leave it to? It's going to be Adrian. And we don't even have Wandell you know, now to, to kind of fall back on. That's kind of one thing about this coaching staff. They, they don't mind focusing on a playmaker if they've got one and they feel like they can ride him. And, and what would be nice is if, if we could disperse that job title and, and that workload around, I feel like that would make us a much more difficult offense to, to defend. But yeah, we don't have a choice. It, someone has to be able to run the ball next year. It can't be Adrian or this season won't go well. And the coaches know that I'm not, that's not groundbreaking. Yeah. You know, Evan Bland, the World Herald, he tweeted out about how, you know, kind of resetting the in-use QB situation. Frost prefers to carry five scholarship QBs. We've said that in the past, uh, but only one Big Ten team did that last year in 2020. Well, obviously, we were at four scholarship uh, QBs, then McCaffrey leaves, and now we're down to three, plus Masker, a walk-on at QB. You know, I don't know if we're going to get to that ideal five. I remember Frost saying that that was one of the things when he first came in, he'd like to have five. And sometimes you just can't have what you'd like there. And and it seems like, especially in the transfer portal world, at the quarterback spot, where you can only have one guy play, <laughs> it is going to be harder than heck to keep five guys happy when uh, only one of them's playing and four of them aren't. It, whoever masters that flexibility, you know, and those, those, those tier group of schools that can't recruit five stars all the time, whoever masters the ability to keep the starter happy and a capable backup – and still keep their finger in the pie of the transfer and the portal, they're going to rule college football because there's there's going to be an artistry to that, and we don't know what it looks like yet. So hang on. You know, uh, Hockey, you mentioned, or maybe it was Mac, I don't know, you mentioned Mac Jones at Alabama, who was a Heisman uh, finalist this year, right? But the only reason Mac Jones was the next guy up after Tua would, uh, gets drafted is because you know, there are multiple Alabama quarterbacks transfer out, right? I mean, it, it's happening everywhere where it's really difficult to have uh, five scholarship quarterbacks because oh. these guys think they're going to start somewhere else, right? I mean, you may might as well just go ahead and at some point start recruiting two quarterbacks, you know, every other recruiting cycle or something like that because you just know they're going to leave. Yeah, and at some point you just need to catch a little bit of luck too. I mean, think of Nebraska. I know this is way back in the 90s, but I'm feeling nostalgic right now. Think even in the, the championship seasons, we didn't have five scholarships on staff. In fact, no. a lot of times the backup QB, you go back to 97 and Frankie London's the backup. And Bobby Newcomb's a freshman and they move him to wide receiver. But Frost was your starter and you have to catch a little luck. Frost ran the ball a lot. He was a thousand yard rusher, our first ever one at quarterback, but he stayed healthy. He's a big dude. And if he gets hurt at any time and that could change how your season goes, you go back to the 94 and 95 teams and you have Frazier and you have Beringer. You have two guys. We don't even have a third scholarship quarterback. It, it determines number three. Why don't we have a third guy? Was Osborne just a, a dummy, didn't know how to recruit guys? No, we lost a bunch of quarterbacks. Uh, John Elder and some other dudes, they left the program. Tony Velen goes over to a safety that when he was brought in as a, as a quarterback. So, you know, guys move around. But what was important was that you kept Brooke and Tommy. You needed one and two. That was the most important thing. And Beringer, you know, if you listen to uh, Aaron Graham, his, his roommate, the All-American Center, multiple times, he talked about how Brooke was looking at transferring back then. 
Okay, again, we have a portal today that you know gets a lot of discussion, but that's it's nothing new. Guys transferring around, Frost goes to Stanford, comes back. So that's a tough room. It's a tough position, but you've got to at least have one and two, and anything beyond that, you know, good luck. I mean, Alabama, Mac Jones, really good quarterback this last season. I don't know who his backup was because he didn't have to play. They had a really good QB. They surrounded him with good players, and they caught a bit of luck that he didn't get injured. Because a year ago when Alabama lost a quarterback, when they did have an injury, it hurt them. Mm -hmm. Honky, as you were talking about that, it got me to thinking a little bit more about Adrian Martinez. And I know it's easy to dump on Adrian because of some of the things that has happened over his career. But you're talking about a guy who's never been in question about where he's his loyalty is even when he got demoted there was no talk of transferring or anything like that yeah and he's here and he's back and he's ready to put it on the line one more time for in you and if i was to ask any of you guys out there any of the transfer portal quarterbacks out there is there could you pick one of them that you'd rather have lead the huskers this year over adrian martinez i mean you're talking about a guy going into his fourth year as the offense Understand the offense being Frost, handpicked guy, playing probably better than we'll give him credit for, but you know, also possibly having some some help on the way. I'm like, I, I just think, you know, like we talk about this transfer portal, we talk about these quarterbacks being hard to satisfy and they're so quick to, to jump ship. And yet we're about to have a quarterback, you know, a high highly recruited guy, a guy that if he went in the portal, I guarantee would get picked up by somebody who has never wavered and he's gonna be our, our guy coming out next year. Like, we should be more excited about that than we are. I understand the reasons why we aren't. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, when people talk about the potential of the Husker program next year making a big jump, that, that's one of the reasons why. It's not outlandish to think, you know, everything kind of bears fruit this year. So, you know, Honk, you were just saying, like, the way the college football landscape is nowadays. And I'm like, we actually have an exception to that on our team right now. He was a captain last year. He's going to be a starting quarterback this coming year, and probably a captain two two years in a row. Three years in a row. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I mean, th- that's the thing. I root for, for Martinez. I, I genuinely do. I mean, this guy has gone through a lot. He has produced a lot. He's had his ups. He's had his downs here. There's no doubt about that. That sounds a lot like the guy that's coaching him right now when he was at Nebraska. Because Frost experienced a lot of those same things, the ups and the downs. It was a different era. It was, you know, different issues. But uh, we can't tell fans how to how to act and everything. But but my goodness, yes, we can. Well, we can. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't like it, don't listen to us, right? But I'll tell you what, it's not hard for me to get behind Martinez and support Martinez and root for him. Well, let's transition away from that quarterback talk and let's go to a question from Richard Fitzwell, and uh, this is appropriate. Boomer, I'm going to ask this one to you. And he said, how would you improve, adjust, revamp, reorganize, or regulate the transfer portal moving forward? What I would probably do, you know, I still like the idea of the transfer portal. I think players need to have that opportunity to transfer, and it needs to be easier for them. We've talked about this in previous shows. I think previously the the pendulum was too far in favor of coaches and programs that they wanted to crush a player, and it was too hard for them to, to move. They could control that too much. This gives these guys the opportunity to do what they think is best for them. They, you know, they have such a limited window. They need to try to do the best they can. I think the best thing for it would be, I think the NCAA needs to be a lot more clear on waivers and when they're going to grant those. Uh, you know, this year they had those blanket waivers, but if you think back to the to the previous year, it was like, who got a waiver to play, you know, to play immediately? Well, it Seem to be quarterbacks for big schools, but otherwise, well, you guys are out of luck. Sorry about your horrible things, you know, that happen in your life, but you're not going to a contender and you're not a quarterback, so you don't get a waiver. I mean, that needs to be clear. People need to be entering this portal with some idea of, am I going to play right away or am I not? Um, that shouldn't be one of those things decided after the fact. I think that would be one big thing the NCAA needs to do just going forward for for the entire health of the sport. Just Just make that clear. Yeah, some consistency. Yeah. yeah, consistency on this, and and it just should make sense. You should know right away if you're entering this portal, are you going to get a waiver? It shouldn't be something that comes down to the you know a month or two before the season starts or whatever it is. And it, it, this is going to be a problem, you know, for the next couple of years. I mean, this is the whole this whole last COVID thing is just going to throw such a wrench into recruiting and and staff man, you know, roster management. I mean, you think about it. I mean, next year you're going to have what essentially 
50 freshmen basically on a, on, a, on a roster with 85 slots. I mean, good grief. Boomer, do you think just with the with the emergence of the transfer portal, it's going to change how um, some teams recruit freshmen? Oh, I think it's going to have to. Yeah, I think you're going to see teams maybe not go out and get the big class. You might leave a slot or two open for that opportunity to find kind of a somebody in the transfer portal. And it's probably going to affect uh, the JUCOs. I mean, you have an option, you know, normally you go to, you look in the junior college ranks to try to fill those last-minute slots. Well, now you can go in the transfer portal and find uh, somebody who's already been in a Power, power 5 program and bring them in. So, yeah, there's going to be a lot of changes just on how every everybody has to manage this. But I think, yeah, going forward, I think that would be my first step is the NCAA needs to make waiver rules clear. One other question I have, and I don't know if you have any – data on this or not but like when you look at a breakdown on the transfer portal quarterbacks running backs wide receivers corners defensive backs whatever is there is there a position group that has a higher tendency towards towards transferring or into themselves in the portal versus another offensive maybe even just as simple as offensive or defensive breakdown yeah have you heard any kind of breakdown of that at all i have not that would be interesting to look in i'll have to dig around and see if I can find that. I mean, the transfer portal itself isn't, you know, public. I, you know, 24-7 right. usually puts something out there. Um, I'll kind of take a look and see if there's anything up. But uh. for some reason in my, in the rattling around in my brain, I have this, I had this, I don't know if it was a, I heard it on a show or not, but I'd heard that if, if on the breakdown side, it would tended to be more offensive players than defensive players that have transferred. And it tended to be quarterbacks and wide receivers that, sure. that transferred even more so, which is kind of interesting when you look at Nebraska's particular situation and the fact that most of our defensive players stayed and the players that we lost on offense fell into the categories that have the most likelihood of, of transfers. Now, that being said, I don't know that those aren't my stats, but I, I almost positive i'd heard that you know i think that there's an interesting thing that could come out of this is that there really is a place for kids that are willing to stick it out for certain kids at least we talk about it with coaching staffs and you know every time we fire a staff and start over every two years and three years in schools that do that that's not a recipe for success at the program level well why at the individual level do we think it's just naturally going to be a success to keep switching from one school to the next and there are guys Tate Martell, is that the guy? The, That's that, right. Yeah, he's now in the portal again. I think Terry Wilson's in the portal again. I mean, guys that have, you know, when you switch from school to school to school, why does that make that player better either? And I think of a Mac Jones, a guy that could have left years before, but if you're willing to stick around, opportunity tends to, to find people. If they stick around long enough and they work hard enough, and there's opportunities, I think, that some players, as this continues down the path, some guys are going to find themselves in, in positions that they wouldn't have been in because their competition jumped ship. That's something I guess I'd always remind those players to. Brooke Berenger is a great example of that. Aaron Graham said that, and yet Aaron would tell him, "If you stick around, if you if you stick around, you know, you just never know, and you never knew." And he had his opportunity, and he made hay with it when he got it. You know, you just don't know when those opportunities come because if, if Tommy Frazier never gets hurt, we never know about Brooke Berenger. There's no way we do. Yep. Time and place, and, and but he was also prepared and ready and had fought and stuck it out. And and I'm not trying to be the get-off-my-lawn guy, but there are lessons that these young men need to learn about grinding and about putting the work in and about sometimes it's not going to be pretty and it's certainly not going to be easy. I think, Honk, I don't know if it was you or Boomer who retweeted the, uh, the Tom Brady video when he was talking to some yeah. Michigan players and he was talking about his experience not being easy. I didn't have an easy experience. I didn't have come in as a top-rated recruit. I didn't come in with the opportunity to play right away. I had to earn it. And you know what the greatest honor I've ever received as a player is? In my fourth year, in my fifth year, I was named team captain. That, to this day, is the single greatest achievement I've ever had as a football player. Because the men in this room chose me to lead their team. These were the guys that, that knew that I liked to work, that knew that I loved football, that knew that I loved to play. And all the lessons that I learned here on State Street and in the big house, that's still what I bring to practice today. And after 14 years, I love the game more than I've ever loved it. 
What, where did I learn the love for the game? Where did I learn to practice? Where did I learn to compete? It was sitting in the same chairs that you guys are sitting in today. I know that's rhetoric and it's it's all fun to say and people will call you a boomer, but there's a lot of truth in there. And the grind and the suffering and the and the and the journey to get to where you want to be is part of it. And yes. And I'm just gonna make this an Adrian Martinez show. I guess I've decided. But when I look at Adrian <laughs> Martinez, what he exemplifies that for our team right now. He has been to the highest highs. He has been demoted. He has been replaced. He has come back and fought and then struggled and then fought back again. And, and you know, like at, in, in the entire time, he had grace, dignity, and class. Like there's no doubt about that. Adrian Martinez has done nothing but endear himself to the Husker nation based on his character and the way he holds himself. Yep. I, I just, I just, I, you know, as we talk about this, I get more excited about the season as the days go by. And you talk about the class that he's had. You know, I think of that pregame talk that he had before the Penn State game where he's not going to, he's not starting for the first time. And he's sitting there saying, it's not about me. You know, it's not about him pointing at, at Luke. It's about us. It's about the team. That's pure class. And for the people that go out there, especially on social media, and they like to, to throw jabs at a, at a 20, 21 year old kid that's, working his tail off and, and has shown that kind of class. I think it shows the kind of class that those people have that are willing to do that. For me, this is, I, I guess we fight the good fight sometimes on Twitter. We hit back on some people. I, I get tired of it, but then I also feel like there's a responsibility now that we have a, a listening, now that we have a following, and we've heard a lot of responses from Redcast Nation out there that say, we appreciate what you guys do. We appreciate how you guys will throw facts back on Twitter, or we appreciate listening to how you guys talk about the players and the team and stuff and, and progress and improvement. And you know what? Every time I get frustrated when I see stupid people saying stupid things, I just think about, you know what? Our role is to continue to be the voice of, I think, the sensible fan base there. It's not that, look, we hate losing, hate it with a capital H. We hate losing as much as anybody. But guess what? Those players, they hate losing too. I know they don't love it, and I know Frost hates it, and I know that they're working their tail off, and I trust the process that they're going through, and I'm supporting it. And if I may just interject for a second, because I don't know, if you follow the Redcast at all, you know that it's it's honky and it's boomer as far as Twitter goes. And I've always appreciated, I've always appreciated the way you engage uh, the interaction we have with either listeners or just Husker fans or whatever, you're always very respectful and you tend to point out facts that are seemingly uncomfortable truths for some of these people, you know, but, but you do have, I, I'm, I've always been proud of the way you guys handle yourself. Cause if it was me or I'm, I'm sure Rob handling our <laughs> Twitter account, it would be a lot more, let's just call it sass. We'll say it'd be more sass and you guys do a, you do a great job of, of uh, keeping your head above it. Yeah, Redcast Rob, he's very sassy. It's fun to – yeah, Redcast Rob, he's a great follow. I mean, it's at Redcast Rob, so Redcast Nation out there. Give him a follow. He's a lot of fun. Um, and we like to throw some crap at him, but, uh, he, you know, a lot of times he knows his stuff. And I'll tell you what, we've, we've talked about this before, Mac. That guy studies his stuff as much as anybody. He's become a Husker fan later in life, so he doesn't have some of the you – know, can't fall back on – 1980s trivia the way that maybe some of us can but uh that dude he's put in the work he's learned a lot so listen i his heart's in the right spot and you know we're equal opportunity podcast and, and fan base i'm like if you want to love the huskers you're, you're you're in the right spot that's right well we've already uh mentioned a, a question from this guy but we know he loves the huskers uh richard fitzwell mac uh this goes to you if you were asked to direct or produce a Nebraska football video for social media, what would it look like? Action. Boom. Immediately, I'm in a forest. What's happening? <laughs> I don't know, but there's a baseline. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be grunge-based and some flannel <laughs> hanging from the trees. No big deal. Fast forward. One thing is in color, but everything else is in black and white. It could be a base. It might be a rose. I don't know, but the problem is there's a beat in the background. Boom, boom. No, I have no idea. I have no idea. But here's what I would do. Classic. I would get <laughs> I would get Oregarst to like guide me through my because otherwise it, it is gonna be some form of like Jeremy's falling with like some sort of husker background. I don't know. That's my wheelhouse, that's where I live, but I'll get hey, Oregarst to direct me and I'll look like a superstar. Hey Boomer, <laughs> could you do some new wave type thing of some sort? 
Oh, I'm sure we could. There's got to be some Echo in the Buddy Man or Joy Division or something we could crank out there for it. or hey, Maybe even Flock of Seagulls. Why not? Yes. I'll tell you what. I, the Husker baseball team could do worse than letting me pick each individual walkout music. I, I promise you the vibe would be good. It'd be a lot of Oasis. I'm not going to lie. It'd be a lot of Oasis, but still. Who would want to walk up to Wonderwall, really? Okay, last question. And, Mac, you mentioned baseball, so I guess that's kind of a nice little segue into this last one. It's from co-worker Eric. And uh, I'm going to kind of throw this to Boomer and Dave, our baseball experts. Uh, first question just kind of goes, with the season less than a month away and the Big Ten still not having the schedule released, why does the Big Ten Conference hate college athletics, its student-athletes, and its fans? <laughs> Mostly kidding about the above. Um Dave, is he kidding? I mean, does the Big Ten? I don't think he's kidding. No, I don't think so, Boomer. I I think it's an utter disaster. I don't know what you think, but I mean, what I'm hearing is is that we, uh, as a conference, the Big Ten will be playing apparently maybe a 44 game schedule. Apparently, double headers on Saturdays and Sundays, so four games in two days. Uh, All conference, no non conference. We're not not playing until March fifth. This is uh, in comparison to other conferences, not just the SEC, but m- most other conferences playing a full fifty six game schedule with non conference midweek games. Uh, Nebraska is in a scenario here where we have multiple non conference opponents like uh, Omaha or K State or Wichita State, that is an easy driving distance that uh, could meet uh, protocols for COVID, and we're not going to have the opportunity there. Um, and and we don't even know what the schedule looks like yet, apparently. I, I saw a tweet, uh, Boomer, by Kendall Rogers from D1 Baseball just yesterday saying that uh, the Big Ten uh, league officials are now just discussing the schedule um, on February 3rd, when, when the rest of NCAA baseball is starting to play their season about 10 days from now. Yeah, it's nice that somebody finally told Kevin Warren we play baseball. I guess, I don't know, if he's relying on Wisconsin to, you know, steer all of his sports, they probably forgot about it. But yeah, this is, this is really just reflects poorly on, again on the Big Ten and how very bad. Yeah, on how they've handled this entire pandemic and sports and everything about it. You know, just like you mentioned, Dave, it doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense why let's pile Nebraska baseball into a bus and drive out to play, you know, Penn State and Rutgers, you know, on the weekends when you can play Creighton and UNO and K-States and Kansas all right here. You know, all big teams that can meet protocol for basketball, that was all acceptable. In baseball, that's probably the easiest sport in the world to social distance. You barely have to be in any sort of contact with anybody. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. And then what you're doing for your postseason is just the Big Ten doesn't have a great reputation for baseball to start with. And now you're going to limit yourself to just all conference games. When it comes down to picking the you know, the the tournament, what are you going to do? How are you going to say, well, all right, the third place team in the Big Ten, you know, they, they should be comparable to somebody in the SEC or Pac-12 or anybody. You just, you're going to have no real basis of arguments for this. It's going to come down to you win the Big Ten, you might sneak another team in. That's going to be probably it for the, for the College World Series. I they're, they're hamstringing themselves and it's insane. The worst thing about this boomer is that since everyone else is playing a, a relatively normal baseball schedule, uh, and then the Big Ten just does the conference only, this is coming off of, I mean, last year's schedule, it was 10 games. We never yeah, got into conference play. Let's yeah. not even talk about that. The year before that, Michigan goes all the way to the College World Series final. And is is playing in the in the third game. They were a game away from winning a national title. We had four, uh, at least four uh, teams in the NCAA tournament. We were highly competitive in that tournament. It was a banner year for Big Ten baseball, and we turn our backs to it like like it was no big deal. There's a lot of momentum there, 
and it could be all lost with just a, a conference that seems to neglect anything that's not called football. Yeah, it's and that's the amazing thing about it, sir. Well, you know, I guess they've kind of paid attention to basketball, considering they're going to make Nebraska ball play like what eighty-five games in like two weeks or yeah. something like that. Is their their new plan there? But uh, yeah, it's just I I don't understand their thought process behind this at all. I, I know we've never been a huge you know baseball conference, but I think there's been enough just effort from programs like Michigan. Ohio State has nice facilities. Minnesota's, you know, been decent. There's been effort Illinois, to... Illinois, Purdue. Yeah, Illinois. Maryland, There's been effort obviously. to improve. Yeah, Maryland's had a good team. There's been enough, I think, effort from baseball coaches in this conference to try to make things better. And it just seems like they're just getting, you know, we're just shooting ourselves in the foot the way they're setting up this season. And it's going to be regrettable to watch. It's I, I'm going to be annoyed by the whole thing. But that's, you know, par for the course for the Big Ten. Is there any admiration to the fact that how consistent the Big Ten has been about obliterating each and every sport along the way? Name a sport they've handled well. It is impressive in its own way, yeah. I'm like, not a single time they don't learn from the previous lessons. They continue to trip over their own feet. And, and it's like, it's com- it would be comical, except these are actually student-athletes' lives and, and livelihood, and some of them, their last chance to get through this. It's It's not funny, but it's comical yeah well you know mac dave mentioned it he goes you know the one sport they didn't neglect was football and that's the sport that we sued them (laughs) i mean it's just no they neglected that too huh good point (laughs) i mean they haven't done really anything right and so (laughs) it's a disaster um, i mean i i mean just with baseball if we focus on baseball honk i mean how can you defend a a 44 game schedule with no non-conference when we are going through a basketball schedule right now where we've had multiple postponements, Nebraska basketball is going to s- skip 26 days in between games because of COVID, uh, but we allow non-conference in basketball. Why can we not allow a few non-conference series in baseball? It makes no sense. No, it doesn't. But the good news is, is that we don't need a schedule until <laughs> a week before. I guess I don't know. <laughs> there you go. I mean, seriously, I'm sure it's all fine. There, yeah. the, there's baseball teams going to be playing on February 15th, and we still don't know our schedule on February 3rd right now. That's crazy. Well, you know, there's coworker Eric. That was a great question. You actually had a couple other ones. I'm not even going to get to them because I think that was that was your best question, Eric. Yeah, that's good <laughs> enough right there. <laughs> Dave and Boomer you got me fired up, man. <laughs> I think that's good. As always, send us uh, mailbag questions to uh, at Go Big Redcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, or you can always email us at the Go Big Redcast at Gmail inbox. All right, all right, good stuff, Hunk. Uh, are we ready for some parting shots? I think so. Let's do it. Let's start with um, Mac. Redcasters, I want to take this opportunity to thank my other Redcast guys here, Honky Dave, Boomer, even Redcast Rob, who's been joining us tonight. I had to immediately jump into action. My daughter's gecko went missing. Um, no big, you know, it's her first true pet. She was freaking out. Thought we were going to lose the thing. You know, meantime, I got the Redcast down downstairs. It's time to podcast. So, you know, it's time to go into hero mode. I'm not talking about me, but I'm talking about the situation. So the situation was I go through the house with my mag light, my, you know, my super heavy duty. When I check all the corners, cannot find this thing. All I'm thinking is Vince, dead gecko, crying daughter. It's going to be horrible. So me and Sully finally decided to lift up the living room couch. Boom. Gecko found. <laughs> I've never been a bigger hero in my life to my daughter than the moment I handed her her gecko. It's a little leopard gecko. It's cute as heck. You know, I recommend anybody getting that pet if you're trying to start her. But I saw I saw her hugging you right before we started recording. She came in and she whispered in my ear, "You're my hero. You're the best. <laughs> you're the you're the best dad anybody could ever have. You're so much better looking." than anybody else I've ever seen. Like, she just went through the whole list of stuff. <laughs> no, but... <laughs> but, no, seriously, uh, I'm... I'm <laughs> the night couldn't have went better, because, you know, you guys all know, like, that memory, that first pet lost. It's the worst memory. It sticks with you forever. So, to be able to... She was having that memory. It was about to be part of her life. 
her story. And then I found the gecko. I'm like, nope. Tonight's just a tonight's just a Wednesday, babe. You know? <laughs> it was great. So anyway, long parting shot. Sorry, Honky, you'll have to settle for four. <laughs> All right, Mac. Well, it's it's good to know that Gecko was found, and uh, Redcast Rob has been listening tonight. So it's good to have Rob listening in. He's the first one to hear the show. Um, let's uh, let's see hear what uh, Boomer has to say. Well, I know we're through uh, with American football season, and it's kind of hitting that slow time of sports. We're still waiting for Nebraska ball to come back, and volleyball, hopefully we'll get to play some games here, and baseball might have a schedule. But uh, as of now, when we're recording this, uh, given the time zone difference, we are now officially one month away from the start of Australian Rules football preseason, and the first game of this season is going to be your St. Kilda Saints uh, playing the uh, playing Carlton on Thursday, March 4th, Australian time. So tune into that, Redcasters. I know you're all big fans, so strength through loyalty. Go Kilda. Is there going to be a BetCast special or anything? Oh, we certainly can. We, we, we did some might this last explore season. at least one AFL BetCast special because but man, um, AFL betting is a, that's a crapshoot. If you want to have if you want to have some fun there, folks, yeah, that's bet the AFL. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, and to get us out of here, honky. Well, I only have two things, but I'll make them particularly <laughs> long tonight. Uh, the first one, the NCAA Division One Competition Oversight Committee approved combining three sport championships to a single location this spring, volleyball, bowling, and women's ice hockey. Uh, they'll all be played in a single city. So bowling is going to take place with 16 teams in Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, women's ice hockey will feature eight teams in Erie, Pennsylvania. And yes, NCAA Volleyball Tournament will take place entirely in Omaha. So... Honky, I feel like there's a there's a, a remote location potentiality with the uh, with the all NCAA volleyball in Omaha. Am I am I am I wrong? The Redcast doing a live show in Omaha, Mac. Is that what you're saying? I'm just saying. Who knows? That could be fun. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure Honky's excited about the logistics of that one. <laughs> <laughs> and we're with the Herd at Media Group. They'll they'll provide everything we need. I'm I'm sure Absolutely. of it. There we go. Uh, my other one is, uh, this goes back, Mac, when you and I talked with Chaz and SoCal a couple months ago, he, he talked about perspective and I just want to give a little perspective, especially on signing day today. And, you know, we lost an in-state kid and, and we talked earlier about how, you know, some people were overreacting and, oh my gosh, you know, Frost was going to close the borders down. I do just want to give some perspective that in-state recruits have left the state of Nebraska before. In fact, even during great times, you know, if you go back to the early to mid-90s when Nebraska's winning lots and lots of games, we lost players like Ty Good to Notre Dame, Tim Ritter to Notre Dame, Scott Frost went to Stanford, right? You know, it's happened before. You know, Junior Bryant went to Notre Dame, Larry Station went to Iowa. You know, you can go all the way back in, in time and go to the – Gail Sayers and going to Kansas, right? Perspective allows us to look at things, maybe not from the emotion of today. Hey, this one guy left, something's wrong. It's more just to look at it and go, guys are going to make some decisions. They're going to go places where they feel is in the best of their interest. And and we can be happy for them. What, what's most important to me, the most important thing that, that I've said from day one of this show, I want to make sure that our coaches are giving equal time and effort and everything to those in-state guys, that we're not treating them like second-class citizens, that we're going after them as hard as we would anybody else. I've never questioned that under Frost. That doesn't mean you're going to get 100% of, of anything, but I have never questioned the effort or the intention of these guys. And so, you know what? When you have an example like Dickerson that leaves, I wish the guy well, and we're going to move on. You know, I'm, I'm ready for an offseason. I can't wait for spring ball. I want to see these guys go. So, GBR. Great stuff, guys. Great show. Really enjoyed it. Uh, hopefully, uh, Redcast Rob enjoyed being there, our first listener. For now, let's call that a Go Big Redcast. Go Big Red! A Huda Media Production.